This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. We are Tuesday, it's Tuesday, and we are back with some more cardiology. Um, we are continuing our discussion of uh, left to right shunt, and I think definitely you're talking to us about AV canal defects or complete. I thought AV. you you were going to talk to us about AV canal. Happy defects. to do so. So, I actually like AV canal and endocardial endocardial cushion defect. So it's not it's not super common, right? The uh, complete AV canal, two to five percent of all congenital heart disease, and these there's a very significant association you must all be familiar with, which is that the majority of patients with an AV canal defect will have Daphne? trisomy trisomy twenty one. Trisomy twenty one. Um, it is associated with a PDA in ten percent of cases and tetralogy of Fallot in ten percent of cases. Now the pathophysiology is quite interesting, right? There's a developmental abnormality of the endocardial cushion, which normally leads to the primum to the primum atrial septum, the inlet ventricular septum, the mitral valve, and the tricuspid valve. It's interesting because we sort of looked at those with Rooney Toms on the on one of the videos. Um, so if you want to go back, he had like a nice little um, image for for the development of of the atrial septum. And so you can see the endocardial cushion development there as well. Now, in terms of the pathophysiology, you have um, hopefully left to right shunt if the PVR does what it's supposed to do. So if the pulmonary vascular resistance goes down as it is supposed to, then you should see left to right shunting. Now, volume overload on the left side due to the left to right shunt across VSD and mitral regurge, you'll have also volume overload um, you can have volume overload on the right side due to the um, to uh, uh, the ASD, and um, yeah. So usually these hearts are quite large when you see them on X-ray or on echo. Now, in terms of the AV canal, right? You could have. So if you think of your heart as these four chambers, the the four chambers are separating and they should all meet in one point at the center of the heart, right? Where this is like the border between all four chambers in this cross between where this is the endocardial cushion defect. And you could have two types of AV canal defect. You could have a complete AV canal or you could have a partial AV canal defect. And so in the complete AV canal um, defect, you have um, the ostium primum ASD. So you have the lower part of the atrial septum that's gone. You have an inlet VSD so that there's a VSD at the tippy top of the interventricular septum. And then you have a common atrioventricular valve. Basically, where you should, the AV canal, the complete AV canal is this gaping hole in the center of the heart that allows all four chambers to sort of mix together almost, right? I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to, to explain this because it's a visual concept. Um, and you can see that on page 33 of the Neo Review books. 
or you could have a partial AV canal. And in that case, you have an ostium primum ASD. So you have a, an atrial septal defect at the, at the base of the, uh, of the uh, atrium, atrial septum, plus minus a cleft in the mitral valve with um, usually an intact ventricular septum and a normal tricuspid valve. So, um, yeah, so a partial AV canal defect should be much milder, right? Um, yeah. Now, in terms of clinical symptoms, the symptoms are based on the, on the combination of ASD and VSD, as well as the degree of the AV valve insufficiency. You could have cyanosis and babies could go into congestive heart failure. Most patients will have a systolic murmur, loudest at the left sternal border, uh, attributable to the VSD, and you may um, appreciate a murmur at the apex. You may have um, apical diastolic murmur, accentuated P2 of the second heart sound, or a gallop. On EKG, you'll see right ventricular hypertrophy plus or minus left ventricular hypertrophy. You'll see a prolonged PR interval, and you should see a left superior QRS axis. Um, and we'll talk about axis when we get to EKG. The management of the AV canal defects are to treat the congestive heart failure, to surgically repair ASDs and VSDs, and surgical construction of two separate AV valves, usually uh, requiring complete surgical repair. Okay, thank you. So we are going to move on now to uh, left and right-sided obstructive lesions, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but the one we're going to focus on um, is coarctation of the aorta. Okay, coarctation of the aorta makes up 5 to 8% of all congenital heart disease with a male uh, to female uh, predominance of 2 to 1. Coarctation of the aorta should make you think of Turner syndrome. 30% of patients with Turner syndrome have coarctation. Um, and coarctation of the aorta greater than 50% is associated with bicuspid aortic valve, and there's an increased risk of VSD. Now, there are different types of coarctation of the aorta, and they um, can produce slightly different clinical symptoms. I think sometimes we forget about this. Coarctations can be classified as preductal, juxtaductal, um, so right uh, opposite the entry point of the ductus arteriosus, or they can be postductal. So let's talk about the preductal uh, coarctation. They're frequently associated with other cardiac defects. They typically present shortly after birth, and they can be associated with hypoplasia of the arch and the left ventricle. Because if you'll think about the arch, this is the most proximal position for uh, a coarctation. Uh, it's before uh, the takeoff of the duct. This is typically seen without collaterals um, because the distal aorta can be supplied by the right ventricle, the PDA, and the distal uh, aorta in utero. Now, if obstruction in the preductal area is severe, when the PDA closes, the infant will develop shock. And so this presentation can be uh, quite impressive. 
Um, the preductal coarctation uh, typically presents with differential cyanosis. If there's a left to right atrial shunt, you will still have a systolic differential blood pressure gradient that is greater than 10 millimeters uh, of mercury between the arms and the legs. Um, uh, these uh, infants tend to be sicker in the newborn period compared to those with post-ductal uh, coarctation. The chest x-ray should show a mild to normal heart size, but you may have increasing heart size with greater severity of coarctation. Now, this is different than the juxtaductal or the postductal uh, coarctation, where there's a lower likelihood of other associated cardiac defects. They're often asymptomatic in the neonatal period, and they typically present with collaterals. They present later in life than the preductal form, um, and they may have hypertension or a systolic blood pressure gradient greater than 10 uh, millimeters between the arms and the legs. In older children and adults, signs of this associated collateral circulation may be evident by enlarged and palpable collateral vessels uh, or rib notching. The chest x-ray is pretty similar. In general, uh, you will see a normal heart size, but if there's a severe coarctation over time, you'll see an increase in heart size. Some of the other clinical features regardless are a decreased femoral pulses, um, which makes sense. Um, you may have a systolic ejection murmur loudest at the left interscapular area, especially in the back um, where the descending aorta is present and um, at the site of the coarctation, which again can change depending on um, where it's present in the baby. Um, and if there's an association with a bicuspid aortic valve, um, you may have uh, an aortic regurgitation type murmur. The EKG is usually normal. The management is something we've already discussed. You would use PGE1, prostaglandin, if there's severe coarctation, the goal of which um, is to avoid the constricting of the ductal tissue within the aortic wall. Um, even if it doesn't open the PDA, it's just hoping um, to keep kind of the aorta from pinching down on itself as well. You would treat symptoms of congenital heart uh, congestive heart failure. Um, there is an option of balloon angioplasty, which is uh, controversial um, in uh, unoperated coarctation. And then the surgery is this kind of end-to-end -end anastomosis where they basically cut out the constricted portion. Postoperative hypertension is common in older children, but it's actually less common in neonates, um, fortunately. Okay. Hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Um, <clears throat> so hypoplastic left heart syndrome is actually quite interesting um, because it almost starts like as, as a sequence where you have severe stenosis or atresia of the aortic or the mitral valve. And then this eventually leads to the hypoplasty of the left ventricle and the aortic arch hypoplasia. It's more common in males than in females. It is the second most common congenital heart disease presenting with cyanosis in the first week after birth. The second 
most common congenital heart disease presenting with cyanosis in the first week after birth. Do we remember what was the first one? Ooh, messy transposition. Oh, I'm going to double check because I don't want to. I want to make sure that we don't. Uh, I want to make sure that we don't tell people the. Oh, I went to the wrong thing. Yes, you were correct. Most common cyanotic lesion in the first week after birth: transposition of the you great were arteries. Correct. You were correct. Poof. Just like but I. People. But that's an important point. I think uh, it's really important to talk about when the congenital heart defects present. Yeah. Because that can help you weed out a lot of stuff in the questions now. Mm -hmm. Now, what's happening is that in utero, the right ventricle is still the one providing most of the systemic output because of the ductal right-to-left shunting. But it's really after delivery that you run into this whole world of problem where the cardiac output is really becoming dependent on the left ventricle. So for that reason, this is a ductal-dependent lesion. So with, the hypo with HLH, you need to have a ductus. Um, in terms of the clinical uh, picture, really the timing and severity depends on, number one, whether or not you have the presence or absence of a PDA, whether there is adequacy of left to right atrial flow, and the relative PVR versus SVR, pulmonary vascular resistance versus systemic vascular resistance. Immediately after birth, neonate with minimal symptoms, uh, because really the presence of the PDA is still there, you'll have ele <coughs> elevated PVR, so basically everything is going to try to go to the left side. But when the PDA closes, then you'll start having symptoms of congestive heart failure, decreased peripheral pulses, metabolic acidosis, renal, and GI hypoperfusion, eventually leading to shock. Uh, a murmur may be present, and you will hear a single S2. Okay? A single S2, it's extremely important to remember that. Because um, only one of the, you only hear one of the valves. Mm-hmm. Um, on EKG, you'll see right ventricular hypertrophy. As we said, everything is the, the, the whole survival here is dependent on right ventricular function. Because of that, you'll see right axis deviation and decreased left ventricular forces. In terms of the management, you should start prostaglandin E1 as soon as possible because you want to maintain the, duct, the patency of the ductus arteriosus and provide systemic perfusion through that ductus. Um, you want to... Uh, you want to have minimal oxygen supplementation to maintain an elevated PVR, right? You know how when you have all these kids with pulmonary hypertension, you say, oh, give them more oxygen so that you can reduce the PVR. Well, in this case, you want the PVR. The PVR is your friend. It's actually shunting stuff towards the left side. So try to use as little oxygen as possible. Um, you also want to try to hypoventilate the patient because hypercarbia really elevates the pulmonary vascular resistance. You want to treat CHF symptoms. You want to provide anotropic support. In terms of the um, treatment, you can have a balloon, atrial septostomy, uh, or septectomy um, if you have an intact atrial septum or a small atrial, a small atrial defect. You should uh, undergo staged surgical repair, starting with a Norwood. But eventually, these babies may require transplant. Um, that is it for HLH. Do you have a question for us? Of course I do. do of it. course I do. Pulmonology um, question 16. Nah. <laughs> but just as bad. This is infectious diseases and immunology question 26. <laughs> Which of the most common cardiac defect 
which is the most common cardiac defect seen among infants with congenital rubella? Ah, <laughs> oh, buddy, you didn't even let me an- give you the answer choices. But that is the answer. <laughs> Um, so um, I'll give you that. The PDA. And you should know the congenital heart diseases associated with the torch infections. Um, this question is about rubella. We'll tell you a little bit about rubella. The severity of clinical symptoms of infants with the congenital rubella is increased. Transmission occurs in the first trimester. There is a 50% chance of cardiac disease, including the PDA and pulmonary arterial hypoplasia. Of course, the other classic features of congenital rubella syndrome include sensory neural hearing loss, cataracts, salt and pepper chorioretinitis, insulin-dependent diabetes, and thyroid disease. Okay. Yeah. I think there was something I was trying to look this up. There's um, the... um, there's like this ophthalmologist, basically. The congenital rubella, I think, was was sort of described by a, an ophthalmologist who kept seeing these kids with cataract. And and I remember reading like something that he had published, and it says like, and they also have PDAs. And I was like, oh, there you go. <laughs> and, well, that's uh, a good way to remember it. Yeah. Anyway. All right, Daphne, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.